0: It's an honor uh, to be with you today, as Ryan already said, I believe Pastor Robert uh, was doing a wedding yesterday at Huntington Beach State Park, and he and Miss Cookie decided to take a few days vacation uh, while they were there, so it's an honor to be able to fill in uh, for him this morning and uh, to be here with y'all, and it's an honor uh, to have both Spring Valley and Westwood with us today. I am so uh, glad that you are here. Uh, As most of you know, Ryan and I have had the opportunity to spend some time with them, This year, I've had the honor uh, to be with Westwood each week and uh, have been struck by just the leadership of that team. It's been a challenging season so far, uh, but I've been struck by the leadership and the men who are on that team and leading that team and just continue uh, to pray for you. Uh, Yesterday, we were at uh, Five Guys eating dinner. It was in the middle. If you know me, you know that I am not a Clemson fan as a friend um, as a friend uh, uh, challenged me with the other day i 'm a Clemson alum, therefore I'm a big time fan, and so we 're sitting there in the middle of the fourth quarter of the Clemson game, which was the best part of the entire game and so i 've got my phone on the notifications on my phone to tell me whenever. Uh, Clemson or Tech gets in the red zone or Clemson or Tech scores or whatever. And it's going off. It's going nuts in the middle of the fourth quarter. And so I guess, you know, I'm looking at that. And Anne and I are talking because we're both Clemson alumni, not just fans. And Betsy, our four-and-a-half-year-old uh, daughter, is sitting right there. And I guess because we're talking about football, all of a sudden she goes, Go Red Hawks! <laughs> so, yeah. She's, uh, she's enjoying it as well. They've been to a few games. They love it. But it was pretty Pretty funny, and so I looked at it and said, we're we're, we're watching Clemson right now, but go Redhawks, yes. Um, But it is, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive into the message this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we get to come in here today and we get to dive into it. Father, I pray that you would challenge our hearts with it. Father, I pray that you would speak through me, that you would use me, and Father, that you would hide me behind the cross of Christ. Father, you and you alone would be honored and glorified today. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We are in our second week of the All In series. Last week, Pastor Robert started us off, and he'll be back to finish it over the next four weeks. Uh, Last week, he kind of gave us a big bird's eye view of what we'll be talking about during this time. And today, we're going to begin diving into that, specifically looking at this idea of authentic community or biblical community you see I I was told something a couple years ago I was at a conference uh, in Atlanta and I don't remember who was speaking I don't remember who said it but he was challenging uh, the the men and women there It was a uh, conference for church leaders and he said this he said that the church today specifically speaking about the North American church but you could take it globally that the church today cannot compete with the world There's just no way that we can compete with the world because anytime we think we've got something figured out, somebody comes along and does it better. I mean, think about it this way. We'll take one area of ministry, for example, our children's ministry. I mean, we want the best children's ministry that we can have. As a matter of fact, you know, if we were to write it down, we would want that children's ministry where we could come in, we could drop our kids off over here in this nice and secure area where we know they'd be loved on, they'd be taken care of, they'd have a snack, they'd get a little story, they'd have plenty of things to play on. We could go over here and and have our uh, time of worship, our time of whatever, and then when it's time to leave, we could come through, we could scan a little barcode, and our children would just come sliding down on a big slide to us. You know, I mean, like, I mean, we're looking for that. I mean, that's what we want. And so churches try to create that, and churches try to build that, and churches think that if we do this, they will come. And so we try to do that. But the problem is Nick Jr. and Disney have an entire corporation that is paid to one-up that. The church can't compete. It cannot compete with the world in areas of entertainment, in areas of environment. But this speaker challenges. He said there's one area that the church has the market cornered on. There's one area that the world has not figured out, that the world can't compete with the church in, and that area is community. Think about it. Some of the largest churches in the United States began not because of their high-powered worship, not because of their high-powered preaching, but because of their community. Community is the one thing that we have because it is centered on the cross and the person of Christ. Think about it this way. As a church, we say that we are a family. We say that we are a faith family. And in your family... Lots of times you'll say, well, we're blood. You know, we're, we're blood related. We're blood family. You know, it's thicker than blood. You know, it doesn't matter what happens. We're going to come out, you know, we're going to argue, we're going to argue, we're going to argue. But at the end of the day, we're blood. And everything, you know, it comes back together again. Well, in the church, certainly, we might not have the same physical blood pouring through our veins. But we are united by the perfect blood of Jesus Christ Amen. community is and will always be the mark of the church you see it you've seen examples of it in the world I remember a couple of years ago uh, I, uh, Ann and I we had some friends who attended Auburn they were Auburn Tigers and so a couple years ago we went down to the Auburn game and they were students and so we got to sit in the student section and let me tell you If you want to become part of a community of a college football team, you need to go sit in the student section. All right? No offense, adults. No offense, upper deck. No offense, end zones. But the student section is where it's happening. And so we're going, and it's one of those things where at Auburn, your ticket is uh, tied into your ID, your picture ID. And so I had a picture ID of what looked to be about a five foot seven Asian girl so I asked my friend I said are you sure this is going to work he said they don't look at it sure enough it worked so we got in there and I don't know if you've ever been to a game at Auburn you might be an Auburn fan I don't know but we got in there I'd never been honestly had never really watched Auburn this was before they won the national championship and throughout the time we were there to the time we left we were astounded at the community the event was a big deal don't get me wrong the event of the game was a big deal but being swept up in the community we left there and we still have a hard time sometimes not pulling for auburn because we've experienced that community The church is the same way. We have two examples of that that we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 2. And then we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 in just a moment. But we're going to begin in Acts chapter 2. This is kind of our our central theme for these days as we walk through this idea of all in, that we are all in as a body of Christ, as a faith family. And so in Acts chapter 2, just to set this up for us before we get there, Peter, in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, has preached an incredible message. But if you know anything about Peter, Peter was not the politically correct guy. He wasn't the guy, you know, he wasn't Oprah, no offense. He wasn't the one who told you what you wanted to hear. As a matter of fact, he would tell you things that you would would want to run away from. And so as he's preaching, as he's giving his sermon, as he's talking to the Jewish people, only days, weeks removed, from the crucifixion of Christ, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. He begins to talk to them, he begins to teach them, and he sums it up in verse 36 of chapter 2 with this statement. Let all the house of Israel, everyone, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both, and that him being Christ, has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. There's the old joke that pastors have one finger pointing out and four pointing back at him. I think in this sentence, Peter's got all five pointing out at the nation of Israel. And he's saying, you are the ones who crucified the Christ. Now that's not easy words to hear. I mean, that's fighting words, to be honest. But something strange happens. In the next verse, it says, verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they asked, what, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. And The Bible tells us that in that day, in that moment, they repented and they were baptized. And 3,000 were added to them that day 3,000 were saved because of this event it's an incredible moment and we celebrate that they celebrated it then we would celebrate that today it's an incredible moment but to me the most incredible moment happens afterwards because this is a very young church in the scheme of things we at spring valley are, are, are a fairly young church When you look at the the totality of how long we've been here in the scheme of things, this is is an even younger church. Imagine, they have 12 men leading this church, well 11, they have 11 men leading this church. Now imagine this, imagine in the first, in the grand opening service, 3,000 come in. Well, I know exactly what we do now. We'd have a staff meeting on Monday morning, and, and the 11 of us would sit around, and we would go, okay, we've got to get this program, we've got to get this started, we've got to do that, we've got we to manage this, we've got to control this, we've got to program this out, we've got to make sure that we do this here, and we would try to manage this. But it seems that they did something completely different. Because it says... We'll read verse forty-one, just to make sure you know this follows exactly after it. Verse forty-one says, "So those who received his words were baptized, and they were added that day about three thousand souls." And verse forty-two, which is immediately after verse forty-one, says, "And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together." And had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's amazing to me they had three thousand saved in that one event. But what's even more amazing is because of the community that they built immediately following this, the Bible says they were added to every day following. Now, I'm quite certain that wasn't 3,000 a day, it doesn't give us a number. But it says because of the way that they lived with each other, the way that they interacted with each other, they were being added to, day by day, those who were being saved. I said in the first service, and I'll stand by it, I believe, no offense to anything else out there, I believe that biblical community is the greatest missions organization the church has. I believe it is because it is so different than anything out there. There is nothing like it out there. So you say, "Well, well, what is it? Turn to Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, Paul is writing now. And he begins to dive in just a little bit in what biblical community is and how we interact with each other, how we treat each other, how we treat those outside the walls. And I want to look at this just for a minute, and I want you to think about the impact this would have on your life and on the lives of others. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, we're going to read a few verses, starting verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, you ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the ones who teach in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. is to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We'll stop there. We could keep reading before our time this morning. An incredible picture of community that is absolutely impossible apart from the worship of Christ. You see, I know we're all smart people in the room today, but I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Make sure that we all get what's happening here. Romans chapter 12 follows Romans chapter 11. Correct? I mean, can we agree to that this morning? One thing we can't agree on? Chapter 11 follows 10, 10 follows 9, 9 follows 8, and when you read the Bible and you begin to see a picture of what's happening in the narrative of the Bible, lots of times it begins to explain a little bit of what's happening here. And the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul goes to great length to explain the gospel of Christ, to call us to worship, if you have a pen, you might want to write this down. I'm just going to go through it real quick, and if you miss it, you can come back. We had some media shout issues, so it's not up there. Sorry about that. In chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Romans, Paul goes at great length to talk about the wrath of God set against sinners. And you know the verse, the climactic verse in chapter 3 of a. Of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The first three chapters, Paul goes to great length to explain how we are set apart from God, apart from Christ. That we are sinners, and our punishment, our penalty for that is death. In chapters 4 and 5, Paul goes to great length to talk about how we receive Christ through faith. That our punishment of sin is death, but we receive Christ through faith. In chapter 6, he talks about that then we become dead to sin and alive in God through Christ. That once we accept Jesus in faith, we become dead to sin and alive through Christ. But this is what happens in chapter 7. He knew it was going to happen. It happened to him. It's going to happen to us. He knew that even after that moment, we would struggle. In chapter 7, he talks about our struggle with sin as believers, as followers, as sons and daughters of God that our struggle with sin. He talks about that, and then he brings us encouragement in chapter 8 and says it doesn't matter what's happening. There is no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. You're going to struggle with sin, but it doesn't separate us because we have the blood of Jesus in us. And then in chapters 9 through 11, he talks about how God pursued us by his grace and is continuing to pursue us by his grace. And at the end of chapter 11, we get the doxology statement, the glory statement from Paul. This is one of the most beautiful statements ever written in the Bible. And as a church, were you hearing all of this for the first time? Because that's what would be happening. Somebody would be reading the letter, the book of Romans to you in its entirety. And as you were reading this, as you got to the end of chapter 11, there would probably be a standing ovation. I mean, probably. If not, they were asleep or something. Because that's how incredible what Paul is talking about is. He's talking about the journey of our salvation. And then he gets to this point in chapter 12, where he says, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, because of Christ, because of what he's done for you, I appeal to you to live in such a way with each other. Did you catch in the last part of 12 there, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all? Interesting, it seemed that Acts chapter 2 carried that same sentiment when it said, and they found favor with all men, that there's something about the community of Christ that instead of being alienating to a world, is inviting to what the Bible calls a crooked and depraved generation. I want to hone in on one verse for just a minute, and then with a challenge afterwards verse 10 of chapter 12 it says this love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor now I want you to picture this in the early church a lot of different things going on political things going on cultural things going on you've got soon after this you're going to have the, the, the perceived fighting of Peter and Paul you know, are the Gentiles in or the Gentiles out? And you're going to have all this stuff happening soon after the early church is planted. But yet, Paul here seems to resonate with this idea—one of these ideas—that as a body of believers, we are to outdo one another in showing honor. Now, that's not a competition. It's not like a checklist. Well, how how many did you get this week? Well, how many did you do? Well, you know, I outdid him. Do you see what he did? It's not a competition. But it's this idea that as a community of believers, we should be those who are outdoing one another in honor. Now, let me ask you this. When is the last time you saw anyone honor? Anyone. I mean, think about our times. Think about, I mean, we're in election year. We're in the middle of college football season. All the different things going on, things at work, things at school. When is the last time you saw anyone honor anyone? How I am mean, here in the church? When's the last time you saw someone honoring someone encouraging someone loving someone putting someone ahead of themselves it's it's against our nature isn't it i mean when somebody does something against us or to us the first thing in our nature particularly in the younger generation and what's interesting is you know the fastest growing demographic on facebook women 60 and older that's crazy isn't it And you know what the first inclination we have when we we hear something, when somebody does something to us, oftentimes is to shoot off a status update. (laughs) To shoot off a Twitter update. To pick up the phone and call somebody and run our mouth. And believe me, I'm guilty of it just as much as anyone. But in this day, what Paul is saying is, as the church, outdo one another in honor. Now, flip that. Imagine if you saw a group of people honoring one another. If you saw a group of people who, instead of shooting off a status update, turned it around, and began to honor them. Could you imagine at work, you're going to the coffee pot, you're going to get coffee, and you overhear a conversation about somebody, and the way they're talking, they're, they're honoring someone that you've never even met. You don't even know who it is. You have no idea, but they're honoring it. They're honoring that person. What would your thoughts be Can you see how in just that one area, now Paul lists a ton. Paul lists 12 different things in this passage that we're we're called to do as a community of believers. Could you see in that one area how by outdoing one another in honor, it would have been so culturally different in that day that people would look at that. And people would say, well, you know what? I don't really like what Paul has to say. Paul points his finger a little too much. Those disciples, you know, they, "Mm, I just, I don't. But you know that group of people? There's something about them that I want to be a part of. You see, this idea of biblical community is It's so important to me, it's so exciting to me, because I truly think it is the greatest untapped resource of the church. You say, well, Jason, we have Sunday school, we have small groups, we do, we do, they're wonderful, we have an incredible small group ministry here. Imagine if we were able to take that as we are challenged over these few weeks to be all in. To be all in. To be all in in this idea and desire for biblical community. To be all in in the ideas of what Paul is trying to tell us and how we should relate to each other. Could you imagine? Because let me tell you something. The North American church right now in the state of of affairs, in many regards, couldn't be further from the picture of Acts 2 and Romans 12. Because in Acts 2 and Romans 12, we see a body of believers who have found favor with all men. Unfortunately, as a church, I'm talking Big C church, I'm not picking on us locally. We are more known for what we're against than who we're for. Amen. But that can be shifted. That can be shifted, and it starts in our hearts. It starts as we begin to worship. Christ for who he is and what he's done. And as we worship, which Pastor Robert is going to speak on next week, as we worship and that begins to transform us and we begin to relate with each other differently, counterculturally, in a way that seems kind of weird at first, just to be honest. Strange things will begin to happen. And I honestly believe. I honestly believe that the picture of the New Testament church could come alive. And we would have people saved in our worship, as we do now. We would have people who come in our doors and experience Christ and are saved because of what he's done. But we would have people who are saved in the island Walmart because of the way we love and honor one another. We would have people who are saved on the recreation fields because of how we love and honor one another. We would have people who are saved at work. Don't count it out. That's our nature. That's our human nature. Your mind is telling you right now, Jason, you're insane. You're a pastor. You're paid to say that. It's truth. And we're called to live in just that way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how your word challenges and pierces. But, Father, I thank you for how your word encourages as well. Father, I pray that today would be a day of challenge but also a day of encouragement, Father. That that you would continue to mold and transform our hearts to be more like your son. And, Father, I pray that as a faith family, you would mold us into a biblical community. And, Father, I pray, and I want to claim the promise of that early church. That as we walk, as we are transformed into the image of Christ, and as we grow and live together, that people would be saved day after day because of the community that you have created in this place. We thank you for our Savior and King. It's in the name of Christ we pray.